Welcome to Puckheads, your hockey talk here, your hockey podcast, where myself, Matt Rosenberg, and Zach Smith, we go over all the stuff in the NHL and the hockey world, and this is episode two of the podcast, and uh, episode one I will hopefully be on, uh, shortly it should be on, it should be getting uploaded, and uh, you'll be able to find it on podcast servers everywhere. Uh, eventually, within the next week or so. Anyway, in this episode two, as I said, I am Matt Rosenberg, Zach Smith, and we are talking about the NHL draft. That is our main focus of the show this evening, and we are recording this on Thursday, so hopefully you'll be able to drop right before the first round tomorrow, and we're going to preview the top ten. But before we do that, let's get into some of the stuff that's happened in the hockey world, Zach, because there's a lot that has happened since we talked last week in terms of transactions, as well as the NHL Awards show last night. Absolutely, and we mentioned it on our first podcast last week that it's always an exciting time. You get the trades, you get some extensions that start getting signed. You know, this is leading up to the draft, which is going to be, by all accounts, a remarkable one. So I think the first thing that we need to start with, as we're both Chicago fans, is the big trade that the Hawks pulled off. Yeah, that's right. The Blackhawks made a huge trade in terms of trying to shore up their blue line, and they wind up acquiring Olimata from the Pittsburgh Penguins for Dominic Cahoon and a fifth-round pick this year in the draft. Uh, tomorrow so we go into this and the Blackhawks were very clear at the end of the offseason that they had to get better defensively on the blue line in order to be a team that makes the playoffs next year and this was really the first move that started the dominoes of all these defensemen getting moved I saw this trade and I had two thoughts one the Blackhawks blue line is pretty crowded now with the addition of Olimata. And you look at it, and you have Duncan Keith, Brent Seabrook, Eric Gustafson, Connor Murphy, Mata, and Henry Yokiharu, who we assume is going to be up with the NHL club. Okay, so you have maybe a seventh defenseman hole, but Slater Kukuk wound up signing an extension with the uh, Blackhawks. So there is no room to maybe improve this blue line unless you move another blue liner out. We know Brent Seabrook has a no-movement clause. He's probably not moving out. The other thought that I had with this trade is that this just reminds me of trying to replace Nicholas Jalmerson. Olimata, young defenseman, 24, a penalty killer, a defensive defenseman. Not the fastest guy. He's not going to improve the team's speed of this slow blue line. And that's why I thought of Nicholas Jalmerson because this is a guy who was, I believe, fifth in the NHL, top five, top ten in block shots last year. So if Olimata can be healthy, I think this helps the Blackhawks blue line from a defensive standpoint. Absolutely, and I think, too, as you just mentioned, the health is really the biggest thing there. Uh, he's had a few injuries in his young career. I have to agree, you know, Seabrook, despite that clause, has been on the hot seat, what seems like for the last couple of years, um, a lot of these Blackhawk cornerstone pieces are starting to get up there in age it looks like a movement towards uh, the youth for that franchise so definitely a big move hard as a fan to see him get rid of Cahoon really was a big fan of his um, but it looks like they're trying to eliminate having to do a full rebuild with this move right here 
Yeah, and, and I think we've seen both teams trying to find a way to either retool, in, in the case of the Blackhawks, retool and get back up to the heights they were before Taves and Kane declined. Then you look at Pittsburgh's standpoint, and I think this is a way to get younger and faster in their forwards. Their forwards are getting a little older, and they're about the same age, remember. It's the Hawks forwards with Crosby and Castle and Malkin. You have a lot of, and you know, older guys, and they need some cost certainty where they can get a cheap guy. Now, Cahoon's going to be an RFA next year, and, I mean, who knows what he does this year. I, I think Cahoon's going to fit really well in Pittsburgh. I like him here. But the Blackhawks also have a glut of young forwards. They just signed two European forwards, uh, Dominic Kubelik and Anton Widin, who are coming over and are expected to be part of this roster. So you had to kind of find some room to get it. So the Blackhawks take their forward glut at the NHL level and try to address it. I, I think it's a good move for both sides. Exactly. I think it's we're going to look at it in the middle of next year, and we're going to see both teams pretty happy with uh, making this making this decision. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It does make me wonder if we're going to see some more moves at the draft. In terms of the Blackhawks, I still think there's another move coming, another trade. Bowman has said that you know he's having tons of conversations. The trade market's active. So I really think we're going to see that. And that's going to kind of lead into all the craziness that really happened starting Monday this week. So it's kind of quiet Saturday and Sunday. Then we get to Monday, and we have the Sharks re-sign Eric Carlson. For eight years, $92 million, a full no-movement clause, $11.5 million cap hit. He becomes the highest-paid defenseman in the NHL, eclipsing Drew Doughty's contract. And you look at, um, it's about the same percentage that Doughty got paid last year. You know, the cap's going to rise a little bit. So about the same percentage of team cap that Carlson and Doughty take it up. So they got equal money when you look at it in terms of cap percentage. Incredible move. I did not think he was coming back to the Sharks. I, I think it makes their defense very formidable for the next several years uh, until these guys get really into their mid thirties. They're going to have a heck of a blue eye with Brett Burns and Mark Edward or Mark Edward Vlasic and now Carlson there for the foreseeable future. It does take up a lot of money though for the San Jose Sharks. They had about twenty five million or so in cap uh, money to play. But they have let, they've now spent eleven and a half million of that on one player. Yeah, very surprising. I think um, Carlson looked like he was really going to enjoy his time as a, a free agent, start getting uh, courted all over the NHL. But to me, Carlson's been one of the top not only defenders but overall players the last few years. Uh, he's been absolutely stellar. I thought that him coming over to San Jose originally was was a great move um, for the Sharks. It really showed that they were all in. Obviously, didn't they didn't get as far as they wanted this year, but yeah, you're talking about it. Well, well deserved to be the now highest paid defenseman in the NHL. Excuse me, and yeah, that defense is going to be tough. Hopefully, they can uh, start getting some young wingers in there to to keep some of their stellar offensive players. Yeah, you think that Carlson? I mean, he had a point per game at San Jose. He missed a bunch of games due to injury. He had a suspension as well. Uh, you have the lead leading scorer among defensemen in the NHL and Brett Burns, who had 83 points this year on the blue line. And now you got Eric Carlson. I mean, it's just, it's tremendous what they have on the defensive side. It's going to make it hard, though, to retain everybody. And I know we're going to get into this next, with our next podcast, where we do, you know, 
free agency preview. But that's why I think you saw you saw the move for the the trade of Justin Broad to the Philadelphia Flyers that happened Tuesday morning. Uh, where the Sharks are to get back a second-round pick from the Flyers this year, third-round pick next year. The Flyers get Justin Braun. He was going to be UFA next summer. So it clears up almost $4 million for the Sharks. But they have a lot of free agents in order to resign. You have uh, Joe Pavelski, Joe Thornton. Thornton said that he's coming back next year, but he'll only come back to the Sharks. So when the Sharks want that's going to be a chunk of money. Uh, you have Kevin LeBlanc, an RFA. Um, there's trying to think who uh, Timo Meyer. You know, there's there's a lot of young guys that they have got to uh, um, sign. Jonas Duscoy is another one. So they're not going to be able to resign all these guys. So it makes you wonder, especially now that Thornton said he's coming back. Let's say he takes four million or whatever. It's an approximation or whatever, two four million whatever. But you got to admit, if you're in charge, you probably just take off Justin Braun's salary. Joe Thornton's going to take off most of that, if not all of it, what you just saved. Do you have enough money to sign someone like your captain, Joe Pavelski? Or is he going to go elsewhere? Yeah, and I think that's always the price you pay when you have some of these high-profile, high-paid players. You know, it's interesting, Thornton's meant so much to the Sharks over his long career. I wonder if they're going to decide to to move on and put that money in some of their younger guys. You know, it'd be a hard, it would be a hard thing to see as as a fan of the NHL uh, for him to to essentially go out like that. But these are the tough money decisions that you have to make. So we'll see. I don't think they let Pavelski go. I think they're going to pay. They're going to pay to keep him, whatever he wants. And so unless I'm um, really unless Thornton takes a team-friendly deal and maybe he makes you know some some backroom deal to to catch it on the backside to get his money's worth I don't know it, it's a tough it's a tough call with these players that maybe mean more than their production on the ice to the team I agree I agree and I think that that's where we're gonna see um starts are gonna have to make some tough calls and I think you can see them very active in the trade market tomorrow and Saturday, because there's always a bunch of trades that happen Saturday as well. So I, I would not be surprised to see the San Jose Sharks very active. Um, I, I, I just, when I saw the Eric Carlson move, the first thought I had is there's no way they can afford Joe Pavelski. Not, now, now with Kevin LeBlanc going to get a big raise and, and you know other RFAs getting big raises along with Joe Thornton, I just don't see it. Unless San Jose is going to be able to get out a, a big money contract you know, maybe get rid of Brendan Dillon or Vander Kane. You know, I just don't see it. So, we'll see, because that's what the offseason is for. Going to the team that Justin Braun's going to, what about the week that the Philadelphia Flyers have had Tuesday morning to get Justin Braun? They continue remaking their blue line. Remember, they traded for Matt Nickinson last week. So, they have actually a very good blue line when you look at it right now. And then they re-signed Kevin Hayes, and... I thought Kevin Hayes got a little bit more money than I thought he would. Seven years, $50 million, so that's $7.14 million cap hit. That's a lot of money for someone who's going to be your second-line center. Uh, I mean, I like Kevin Hayes. I, I think he'll be good, especially going back to a division that he's familiar with. He also reunites with his coach for the first couple of years, Elaine Vignol, uh, who's the coach of the Flyers. Um... So, I like the move. I think he got a little bit overpaid, but 
That's just my opinion. Yeah, and I I agree. That's a lot of money to um, to dish out for someone who, unless you're expecting him to be your number one guy in the next couple of years, but it seems like the Flyers are pretty set with their top line. It's uh, hopefully it's a move that pays off for him. But yeah, very active on uh, on all parts of the trade free agency spectrum. The Flyers have been a team that have been you know uh, a relatively good playoff team they've been consistent in getting to the playoffs the last decade or so um looks like they're trying to stay there after a few down years so we'll see they play in a real tough uh overall conference but tough division as well we'll see if they can make their way back into the top eight by the time these uh these decisions come to an end this offseason absolutely yes it's it's gonna be interesting to see i I think they're gonna be a lot tougher to play against next year uh, it's going to be a fun team to watch, to watch the Philadelphia Flyers as they uh, continue to rebuild. Because they got money to spend, too. A lot of teams have money to spend. And so, and I don't think the Flyers are done trading yet, either. It's it's a wacky year because I really think we're going to see some big trade at the draft that we're not sure where it came. Um, you know, just looking at all these teams and how active they've been brings us to another team that's been active, the New York Rangers. Uh, they wind up trading their <laughs> first-round pick and uh, Pionic, their defenseman, for Jacob Truba to the Winnipeg Jets. The Jets get cap relief because they have a lot of our faces side. They have to sign Patrick Laine and Kyle Connor. Uh, Jacob Truba was definitely going to be gone. And this might not be the other people that the Jets have to get rid of either. But they get the first-round pick back, 20th overall tomorrow. And the Jets only had, like, three draft picks or something like that uh, going into uh, tomorrow. But you look at it, and the Jets, so they traded this pick to the New York Rangers at the trade deadline for Kevin Hayes. So they get their, their pick back. So, in essence, this trade is literally Jacob Truba and Brendan Lemieux to the Rangers for uh, Ponick and, oh, uh, gosh, who they get at the trade deadline and a blanket on who they got. But, so, the Rangers come out ahead in this. They get a top-pairing defenseman. Um, someone who I think will be more agreeable to resign. There were questions about Truba because he's RFA, that he didn't want to sign with a Canadian team, that he wanted to be in the U.S., and the story, his fiance is a medical student and can only practice in the U.S., cannot practice in Canada because of the licensing and all that. And he did say that, that, look, her career means just as much as mine. I think it's very admirable that you say that. So it's going to be interesting to see if this is where Truba ends up. I, I assume he's going to sign long-term with the Rangers because they'll throw a boatload of money at him. But I like this move for the Rangers, and the Winnipeg Jets get a lot weaker on the blue line. Agreed. I absolutely love this move for the Rangers. The, in just a few moves, and considering their, their luck with the, the draft lottery, it looks like they might be in uh, for a quick turnaround with some of these moves they're pulling off. Props to the GM for, for getting Truba f- uh, for a steal, in my eyes. Um, yeah, the Jets looking like a team that was towards the top of their conference, and now uh, kind of some head-scratching moves. Definitely a tough one to, to lose Truba just to get your pick back, and We'll see. It's it's interesting. I can't remember a situation like this where a player is advocating not necessarily for a team, but for a, 
a country to be in. Um, makes sense. The licensing, where your wife can work, family. It's a part of the game. This, these aren't just uh, athletes that go home and, and wait till the next game. They do have lives. So definitely an, an interesting take. And we'll see. I, exciting times for the Rangers, especially after their number two pick tomorrow. Right. It's not like the NHL... Uh... NHL video game where you just willy nilly <laughs> just tra- trade them anyway, um, and I think a lot of people forget that. I, I again, I, I like to move from the Rangers. The Jets get a third pairing defenseman back if that. Um, yeah, oh, just Jets taking a beat, and we've seen it happen. You know, you know, guys get expensive, but they're getting expensive earlier, and that's the whole deal. I mean, look at all these RFAs that you have that are going to cash in and. The thing is, is you haven't seen any RFA sign. The only ones we've seen sign are UFAs. But you look at our RFAs, and um, you look at RFAs, and you have Mitch Marner. You have Miko Randon. <laughs> you have so many just talented RFAs that are going to be just making boatloads of money. Sebastian Ajo, another one, that it's really going to change the way that the salary structure is. We've seen it with Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews. They're making 11, 11 and a half, 12 million dollars a year and they're just making boatloads of money when you're 21, 22 and it used to be you had to wait till you got to that UFA. Not your second contract but your third contract where you cash in and that's not the case anymore. We talked about Line A and Connor and, and uh, Matthew Kachuk in Calgary. There's so many RFAs that are out there um, it's just, it makes you wonder, are we actually going to see an offer sheet? Are, or do some of these RFAs get traded when they their teams realize they cannot meet their price? Yeah, it's definitely a trend that we're seeing now. I can, you know, I can vividly remember when Taze and Kane got their money well, well-deserved and at the time record-breaking contracts, and now uh, they're quite pedestrian for some of the top players that, you know, they're getting similar numbers and, and much younger now, so... We'll see. It's you have to know, you know, as a team coming into this, you got to pay your players, and that's going to thin it out in other parts of the uh, of the roster. So, we'll see. I think, like you just mentioned, Matt, we're going to see a lot more trades. Players just are not going to be able to get paid what they want, what teams want to keep them for, and they're going to have to start. You know, we're seeing this trend in all sports where players are really taking control of their own of their own. Uh, their own presence on a team, their own responsibility to themselves. They're getting more power to control where they want to play, how much they want to make. It seems to be making its way into the NHL as well. I agree. I, I think it's going to be, you are seeing this, players are be, you know, taking more power, and, you know, it's no longer take one for the team. or you know, I mean, you do see it in some teams. Uh, bringing point to Tampa Bay, you're going to have to take a pay cut if they're going to fit him in, but I don't know how they're going to fit him in. Um, I imagine he will get in there, but it's just, it's so interesting to watch now. And, you know, you, you used to see this, you know, and so it's going to be very interesting watching these teams that are really up against the cap, trying to sign these RFAs, and what happens. You are going to see player movement. I, I guarantee, you know, may, maybe you don't see a lot of big trades, even though I suspect you're going to see two to three big trades tomorrow, and I think you'll see a bunch of trades on Saturday, or really up until July 1st, 
Um, you know, I think you'll see more trades tomorrow and Saturday, and then you'll have kind of a trickle down because all the GMs are together. It's a lot easier to talk to someone when you're face to face, and so it's it's going to be fun to watch because just people are going to have to get moved off some of these teams. And where they wind up, nobody knows. But if you're a team that has cap space, this is the summer to have it. I mean, it really is. You know, you got a few UFA forwards and a few UFA defensemen. The forward class to me is deeper than the defense class, especially now that it's steadied out with Brady Coburn, Coburn getting re-signed with the Tampa Bay Lightning for two years, $3.4 million, $1.7 million cap hit. And the Vancouver Canucks re-signing Alex Ander Edler today for two years, $12 million. That's $6 million cap hit. I mean, he had a really good season, um, which tells me that Jake Gardner's probably going to get at least $7 million on the open market. And you look at, at just the money that these guys are going to get, and if you're a team, uh, Chicago has a cap space for the first time in forever. <laughs> when's, the, when's the last time you were able to say that? Probably 2009. <laughs> uh, probably 2009, 2010. Like, you, you know, what's the last time you could say, the Blackhawks have cap space. It's been a while. Absolutely. You know, actually, I would take that. But it, it would be, yes, it would be 09-10 because that's when they signed Hosa. Mm-hmm. That's the last time they had cap space. That's why I, I'm convinced the Blackhawks are going to make a splash. Um, you, you know, you've heard Jason Zucker, you've heard all kinds of names being bandied about in, in regards to the player movement. I, I think it's going to be fun to watch tomorrow the NHL draft. Absolutely. And I think, too, one of the biggest names that we're familiar with as um, Chicago fans when he was not a household name but really has exploded over the last couple of years is Panarin has just yep. become an absolute stellar player. I think he may be on the move. I think he's one of these players that uh, he might not be the first pin to drop, but I think he's going to have a real ripple effect wherever he ends up. I have a prediction about that, and I'm not going to spoil it because you know we're going to talk about free agency, and then that's when I mean if we talk about free agency, this would be like a three-hour podcast, and we don't want to do that to you guys. Um, but I mean, I think it's very where I think he's going to end up is where I think it's being speculated that he's going to end up. Um, so I do think that that's going to happen. Um, I, I was reading an article this morning, and there was, like, bold predictions about the draft. And since Quinville and Talon are in Florida, hinted, um, the speculation was that Dale Talon will trade for what accused former players. <laughs> so I would not be surprised if you see somebody move from the Blackhawks to the Florida Panthers. First of all, Talon and Bowman get along very well. Traded a lot together in the past. Gosh, I would so not be surprised if Talon winds up trading for somebody that played. Either, you know, either they're with the Hots now or they were with the Hots before that played for Quidville. Much like I think he's going to sign somebody that played for Quidville, you know, the last year or two that Quidville was here. So. Yeah, I think we uh, we agree, and we'll be able to uh, speculate a little more on that in future episodes. Yes, teeth. Um, <laughs> so, anyway, let's get into the NHL awards quickly. Then I want to cover the NHL. You know, we want to cover the NHL draft since that is tomorrow. Uh, so we're gonna run down these these awards really quickly. Let's start with the big one. The NHL awards were last night in Las Vegas, as the the whole NHL made its way to Las Vegas, and then the, a short little flight. It's probably not even a short flight. 
probably got to be about a two and a half, three hour flight from Vegas to Vancouver. So scratch that. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't go on many West, planes. West Coast, West yes. Coast bias. We it, don't know how long the plane trips are out there, guys. Exactly. I I heard something like that. I think like Portland to Vancouver is like a two hour flight, and I was like, no way. Wow. That. And then we'll I looked it up, it, and it actually we'll have to is. Check it out. We'll have to we'll have to confirm that for you. So. I'm like, Chicago to Sydney is like a 50-minute flight. <laughs> it's five hours in the car. I mean, it's, you know, so I was like, oh, maybe that made sense. But Nikita uh, Kucherov, he wins the Hart and the Lindsay Trophies. Ted Lindsay is given out by the Players Association as the most outstanding player. And, of course, the Hart given out by the media. Uh, he winds up leading the NHL in points with 128. Tied for six with goals, 41 this year. Led the NHL. With 87 assists, he was 12 points ahead of Connor McDavid in the points race. Ironically, they finished with the same amount of goals. It was the assists that made the difference. Nikita Kucherov, what a phenomenal, phenomenal season for Nikita Kucherov as he continues to show he's a superstar in the NHL. Couldn't agree more. And it's it's been great to see his emergence from you know a talented prospect to a consistent player to really the superstar he is and. I think it was pretty much a no-brainer for both of these awards. Uh, the season that the Lightning had overall is definitely a big part of that, and we'll see. I mean, they've got the they've got some some big names that are still there, some some of the top scorers in the game. So, Nikita Kucherov definitely a well-deserved Hart Trophy, and I would say for the Lindsay as well. Yeah, Andre Vasilevsky takes the Vezina Trophy. He had 39 wins, of course, for the league-leading Tampa Bay Lightning. A phenomenal season. He was a finalist last year, winds up winning it this year. Uh, just another a tremendous season for Andre Vasilevsky. Of course, the postseason didn't go how he wanted. Mark Giordano wins the Norris Trophy. It's the first time he's won it. It's 35 years old. Uh, 17 goals, 57 assists. 74 points. He was second among defensemen in all categories, neither tied or solo in second. And how about this stat? He had four shorthanded goals as a defenseman for the high-flying Calgary Flames. Ethel Liddell from Dallas is the only other defenseman in the NHL to have multiple shorthanded goals, and he had two. I, I thought that was impressive. Four shorthanded goals from the blue line. I didn't realize it was that many. Yeah, an, an absolute honor for him to win that. It's it's been great watching him play for, you know, close to a decade at this point. And just, he really seemed to be the heart and soul for Calgary that last year. Definitely a part of what got them to the number one seed in their conference. So a well-deserved uh, win and really nice to see Calgary take an award home. Yeah, how about this? The uh, Con Smythe Award winner, Ryan O'Reilly, he gets the Selkie Trophy. Of course, tremendous two-way forward. One of the top leading face-off men in the NHL, always on for all situations. Elias Pedersen wins the Calder, 28 goals, 38 assists, 66 points. He led rookies in all categories, in all three categories, and it wasn't even close in any of them. Uh, he had a 22-point difference in terms of points. Uh, just a tremendous year for Elias Pedersen. The future is definitely bright in Vancouver. Barry Trotz wins the Jack Adams Award as the coach of the year. Robin Leonard wins the Masterson Trophy, which is for Perseverance. And as everybody knows, he kind of uh, opened up about his mental health issues earlier in the year. And uh, he had a tremendous speech last night about how, you know, he's, he's proud to say, he's not afraid to say that he's mentally ill or ill, has mental health issues. Uh, just a tremendous, tremendous speech by Robin Leonard and a tremendous year. Also, a UFA goalie. 
Absolutely. It's, I think this is a great award that they give out because, again, it touches on the fact that these guys aren't just athletes. They're, they're real people that are dealing with um, real-life situations. So a great speech by him, a great honor for him to bring that home. And you got to love, I mean, dedication to the game, but also just the perseverance in, in everyday life for Leonard. So well-deserved. He really was, uh, was a great example, had a great season. So looking forward to uh, this award as the years go on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we had uh, Alexander Barkov win the Lady Big. That's the most gentlemanly player for penalties taken this year. That was all. Jason Zucker wins the King Clancy Trophy uh, Award for basically uh, humanitarian service within the community. Wayne Simmons wins the Mark Messier Leadership Award. And the final award, the GM of the Year and that's going to go to Don Sweeney of the Boston Bruins. Again, getting the Boston Bruins to the Stanley Cup. He had a tremendous year, made some great trades in the middle of the year. Charlie Coyle, a lot of game markets. Uh, Joe Hansen as well on that team in free agency. Um, er, er, trade also, excuse me. So um, just a, a fantastic night, fantastic uh, award show. Happened to catch part of it. Uh, thought it was well run. Uh, Keita Thompson of the famous... Lady Ducks 2 and 3 <laughs> was the host of the show. And yes, for those of you who are interested, there was a Keenan and Keller reunion. <laughs> Alright, let's get into the big topic of the day. And the NHL draft is finally here. Basically, everybody's in Vancouver now. Um, you know, basically, whoever wasn't in there was at the award show last night. And they're there now today. Uh, it's the NHL draft is going to be in Vancouver. And for those of you who are wondering, the last time that the draft was in Vancouver was 2006. And the 2006 draft is most notable for the fact that Jonathan Taze went three. You had Eric Johnson go one to the St. Louis Blues. And... Trying to remember who went two to the Pittsburgh Penguins. Now, I, I will look it up really quickly. It might have been the year that Malkin went number two. No, I think Malkin went the year before. Malkin went the year before because he went with, with uh, Ovechkin. And I just yeah wound up reading it. But if you look at it, and with the draft now in Vancouver, and you have New Jersey... Holding the top pick, the Rangers to Hawks three. We'll, I'll we'll reveal the whole draft order. Uh, what the top two picks we assume are going to be Jack Hughes and Capo Cacao. Let's look and let's kind of talk about some of these prospects quickly and talk about them and kind of our impressions. Let's start with Jack Hughes, phenomenal skater, brother of Quinn Hughes, defenseman of Vancouver. By the way, there's a third Hughes who's going to be on the way in two years. Luke, who's a defenseman as well. Jack's the only forward among his mother, father, and brothers. And so he clearly did not get the memo. But Jack Hughes, phenomenal skater. I mean, he's just so effortless on his skates. And the all-time point skater for the U.S. National Development Team program. Yeah. I. We were talking earlier, Matt and I, and it seems like he should be a no-brainer number one. Um don't overthink it. He's 
one of the most elite prospects that we've seen come out probably since Connor McDavid. He's just so an all around phenomenal player. So we'll see. Maybe maybe deciding to be uh, an offensive player is going to work out with him. He might have the last laugh with his family of defensemen. Yeah, and you know, I I mean, think about it. I mean, he he just he wound up shattering all types of records in the U.S. National Development Team program. And, you know, the guy is just, he's a stud. And uh, I, I know that John Collin, who you and I both know, and I, I know, you know, doing a show before, and, you know, we played hockey and stuff together, is that he's seen Jackie was a person. And I believe uh, the word that he used was ridiculous. <laughs> uh, the guy is just oozing skill. And you look at it, and it's just, it's so... I try to think. Jordan Stahl, by the way, is the one who went to in 2006. Mm. I mean, I, I just don't see any way that he's not the number one pick. But then you go to Capo Kakao, who was the right winger out of Finland and had a phenomenal world championship with six goals. I mean, just some incredible goals. He had a better world you know, championship than Jack Hughes against men. But Jack Hughes was in the fourth line role. But Capo Kakao, uh, to me, when I think of Capo Kako, I think of goal score. He knows how to score and he's you know got good speed and he goes to the dirty areas of the net and he just grinds it. He's a grinder and he, like he's not gonna be denied. He has great strength. And you saw it in the winning goal in the World Juniors against the US that he had with the little forehand backhand move. And then you saw it in this goal against the world championship when he was getting tripped and on one leg still beat the goalie. So Kapokako has really closed the gap between him and Jack Hughes. And he's going to be just a lot of fun to watch in the NHL. He's a presumptive number two pick because the two of them have separated themselves. Absolutely. I mean, when I think of this guy, I think of just a lightning bolt. He is phenomenal. He is must-see TV. And this is what the league's turning into is these great scores, these guys who really will get to the dirty area that won't be denied. He's going to be a great, great addition to um, who we presume will be the New York Rangers. And, you know, Matt and I were talking, and I think Jack Hughes should go one. Kakao should go two. But, man, I think the number two pick is really a no-brainer because it's a win-win. So you've got the Devils who are going to be overthinking it. They're going to be saying, okay, can we go for a guy who's a good prospect, a guy who's maybe more NHL-ready? They're going to go back and forth. The Rangers are sitting there pretty saying, hey, we're going to be ecstatic about whoever falls to us because these two guys are heads and shoulders above the rest of the class. What do you think about it? The Rangers went up from, what was it, that six to get to, you know, this pick. So, I mean, you know, they dropped. They already are, have won. And the fact is they don't have to make the decision. New Jersey makes the decision for them. And and getting back to New Jersey, and we're going to talk about this in the rock draft, but they really just have to think about, do we need a setter or a winger? And and we'll see. Um, let's go into Bowen Byram, the top-ranked defenseman, consensus top-ranked defenseman. And, you know, listening and reading stuff, you know, there's guys that think he's going to be a number one defenseman. And, I mean, watching some of the clips of him and, and you know, the guy's just effortless. I, I you know, put excellent pass or a great shot. He he did things at 17 in the WHL that nobody's done. Uh, he led the league in scoring. He had 26 goals 
this year. I, I believe that he put up the same amount of points early. He broke Paul Coffey's mark, which is, you know, but 30 years old from the WHL. Um, and then he also had led the league in scoring in the playoffs. The guy was just an absolute stud. He's agile. He's responsible, responsible in his own zone. But it's just, he's accurate, and he makes tape to pay passes. And he just, he makes it look effortless, too. Yeah, it seems disrespectful to say that at best he's the number three prospect because he seems like, uh, by all considerations, a can't-miss um, absolute superstar that's going to be coming into this league. So it's you know it's going to be a great value, whoever ends up with him. He seems like he's going to have a pretty seamless transition. It might take a couple years for him to reach that first-line status, but... Yeah, he's an absolute great prospect. What he did in the playoffs, especially, just phenomenal. And and we'll see where it's going to be interesting to see where we have him in our mock drafts and where he actually goes tomorrow night. I, I agree, yes. And he's definitely, and it's not because of a lack of skill where the question is in regards to him. All right, let's go to Alex Turcott, the number two center on the U.S. National Development Team program. Uh, Alex Turcott. Again, somebody who's, you know, he's about 5'11", about the size, you know, and just uh, somebody who's a very good passer and gets overshadowed but by Jack Hughes. But again, a very good prospect. He goes in the dirty areas. He's willing to play. But he's a two-way player, and he's very feisty on the forecheck. Like, you know, he loses a puck. He'll go back and get it. Um you know, he's defensively responsible and watching some of his clips, you know, it was very interesting because he's not going to stick out in terms of the high at high end skill, but he's going to be defensively responsible. He's going to be where he's supposed to be. Yeah. There's really nothing on paper that makes him look like he's a top prospect uh, this year or any year really. But this is a great kid for, for Matt and I, a local kid that's been fun to watch. And, Really, you you got to look at the, these players that, um, you know, we've got some players in the league who are offense only. They've got great shots, but you might not see them contribute on the defensive end or in other aspects of the game. This guy is all over the place, and you wouldn't know it by his size. He's got some great player comps in the league right now. Um, he's going to be a great feisty player and very exciting for wherever he ends up. Right. He, he's got a very good shot, very good pass. But like you said, it's there's guys that are going to be above him in the draft. Like Jack Hughes is a better skater. Um, you know, you look at the shots. Capital Cackle's probably got a better shot. It doesn't mean that he's a bad prospect or anything. Like, he's right up there in the top in each category. It's just he's not, like, exceptional mm-hmm. at one thing, right? Like, you think about uh, Jack Hughes and the skating, and, and Jack Hughes is probably a little bit of a better passer. But Alex Turcotte's a very good passer. I mean, he's a guy who put up more than a point per game. They close to two points per game when he was healthy. Um, all right, and I'll go into Cole Caulfield. Uh, 72 goals this year. I think that's all you got to say for the U.S. <laughs> National Development Team program. Um I have him probably rated a little bit higher than everybody else. And for those of you who are wondering, we're just kind of going in order of how I've ranked them. It doesn't mean that that's that's rankings or anything like that. And it doesn't mean that that's how the draft, our mock drafts are going to go. But Cole Caulfield, 72 goals, goal scorer. Just goal scorer, the best goal scorer in the draft. Uh, His shot gets off lightning quick. He's 5'7". He did get over the 5'7 mark at the combine. So people are comparing him to Alex Debrinkat, 
which is just a natural comparison. But I think that that's a disservice to both players. Alex Debrinkat's more than that, and so is Cole Caulfield. So, uh, just a goal score, man. I set the single-season record for goals and the career record for goals in the U.S. National Development Team program. Yeah, and that number, while it's not the only reason why he should be considered one of the top prospects this for this draft, uh, it just jumps off the paper when you see it. you, you got to go, holy cow, this guy is an absolute goal scorer. So we'll see. He's um, In the last few months, he's kind of bounced around in a lot of mock drafts. He's been you know as high as number three behind the presumed top two picks. Uh, he's bounced around outside of the top ten, so we'll see. That that size is definitely going to concern some teams. Um, but for me, you got to look at, do they have the natural talent? Do they have that ability to um, know what to do with the puck when it's on their stick? And so the size doesn't concern me as much. We're going into a, a newer era of, of faster, more agile players. I think he's going to be a great pick. I do, too, whoever gets him. And... Um... I just think that he's going to get overlooked because of his size. And so whatever team gets him, I think it's going to get somebody who's motivated. Um, he also told the Hawks that if they didn't pick him at three, that they would regret <laughs> it. Love the attitude. Um, number six, or, or guy that we're going to look at, Kirby Doc, six-foot center out of Saskatoon in Canada in the Western Hockey League. Uh, tall center, moves very well. He's a great skater, very fluid on his skates. You know, you don't see that with a lot of tall guys. Um, great shot, accurate, and can shoot from, you know, you know, can shoot both ways, accurate, you know, wrist shot and slap shot. So, Kirby Doc. Yeah, very similar to talking about um, Alex Chakot earlier. He's just an all-around solid player. So, we'll see. I mean, to watch someone... You know, and talking about uh, five seven skater to go to the six four guy next seems a little unfair. But man, to see someone as big as him be as agile as him and and as fluid in his skating is pretty is pretty fun to watch. So we'll see this guy. You know, I think Doc's going to be someone that shocks a lot of people. Um, you'll see in my mock draft, I, he's another guy that's been projected all over the board. Has pretty much stayed within that top ten. Uh, I think he's going to have. A lot of teams, a lot of traditional style teams, interested in his size, interested in his two-way ability. It'll be fun to see uh, him going up against some of these these bigger boys in the NHL. Yeah, all right. Uh, so a few more people that we're going to look at. Uh, we'll go with Trevor Zegers as number seven on this list. Trevor Zegers, again, another phenomenal center from the U.S. National Development Team program. Uh, just, you know, very creative player. Uh Really embraces Patrick Kane, embraces that whole thing. I saw some just sick passes where he made some spit around the passes and would just do it, but very confident in his ability. An excellent stick handler, plays at top speed. Uh, I, just an incredible playmaker and somebody who has a huge bright future in the NHL. And if, if you're listening to us and you're saying, man, they keep talking about the U.S. development program and all these guys are coming from there. Yeah, we know. They've had an absolutely stacked team. Um, some of these top prospects are obviously not from their program, but what do you think? They might have 10 guys go at least in the first two rounds from that team. It was an absolutely phenomenal year for them. Yeah, the rumors are that there's probably going to be seven to eight people from that U.S. from that 18 team just drafted in the first round alone, and that 
probably everybody's going to get drafted for the U18s. That's an incredible feat. Um, you know, we're not talking about it, but Spencer Knight, the goalie, uh, Cam York, and Matthew Boldy are ones who just missed the top 10 on this list, and those are all three U.S. National Development Team. And uh, Boldy and York will definitely go in the top you know, 20 pits. And Spencer Knight, first goalie, we'll see when that gets taken because it's always hit or miss. So going to the eighth guy, this is another defenseman out of Sweden. And as I said, I've been going through this the last, you know, several days. And Philip Robert, defenseman out of Bernus in Sweden. And, man, is this guy fast. He is lightning fast, very offensive, creates just incredible incredible plays because of his speed. Philip Roberg is someone who I think is going to go very high, a very good defenseman, very smooth, accurate wrist shot, and plays in all situations. Yeah, and I think it's, and looking at this list uh, that Matt's created for his top guys and, and looking at, you know, just the experts' picks, you see a lot of offensive players, and it seems like it's a down year on the defenders, but that's really not true. The top guys, the top defensemen, are just kind of an example of how stacked this draft is and how good the depth is. You're getting players who you might find in in the mid teens who in you know some some more historically weaker drafts could be top 5 players. So looking at Broberg, he's going to be a great uh, a great offensive playmaking defender. I think he's going to go higher than where the some of the projections have him. He's going to be a great asset for a team who really wants to create some of that offensive pressure from their own blue line. It's going to be a great pickup for whoever gets this uh, this quick defenseman. Yep. Oh, I absolutely agree. Uh, number nine, Dylan Cousins. Probably the last of the big-named centers here in this draft, uh, you know, in terms of the elite centers. Dylan Cousins, another center out of the WHL. He's from Lethbridge. He's another six foot three, hundred eighty five pound guy. Somebody who thinks he's going to be ready to be in the NHL next year. Uh, great shot, shoots it high and accurate all the time. Uh, and boy, his speed creates chaos. You saw that a lot in the WHL games, and and it just creates space. Yeah, Cousins for me is one of my favorite prospects. He just seems like most of these center these centers that we have on this list. He's got the great all around skill, but when you've got that speed, man, seeing him come down the middle of the ice is going to be exciting on the next level. So whether he's got a chance to make it onto uh, onto the NHL ice this year is going to be debatable depending on where he goes, but he's going to be someone that I think we might not see in the Jack Hughes conversation that's going to be a big household name in the NHL. He um, He's going to deserve whatever spot he gets. Yeah. The last guy that we're going to talk about, we're going to preview uh, number 10 on this list, is Vasily Pakolzin. This guy, when the draft lottery came out, was assumed to be the number three pick. However, did not have a really good world under 18s, did not have a good world championship. You know, world under 18s did not look good. And with Pakolzin, it's also the contract that he has. He's a Russian winger, Scott St. Petersburg. He's in the KHL. He's there for at least two more years. That's his contract. And then he's expected to go to the NHL, but a team's going to have to be patient with him. And it's the skill. I didn't see, you know, as much of the skill in terms of everything, all the intangibles jumping out at me. And that's why I put him at 10. 
but I think he's a very talented player who, when he comes over, is going to be very good. Uh, but silly possible. He's a very good shot, straight skater, and he can stick in you know, with them. So I think Pat Colson's he's going to be interesting because I think he's going to fall. And I really do, and I think that that contract is going to scare people away too. I think he's definitely, and, and we probably agree on this, one of the most interesting prospects, not only for his skill level, but just for all of the uh, surrounding circumstances for his playing ability. So, man, man, as you mentioned, projected at the time top three, he's been projected towards the middle to end of the first round. He's probably had the the craziest um, mock draft predictions in the last few months. People have had him all over the place. I think when he's been on his best, and obviously in the last tournament, uh, there was some talk maybe he was a little injured, he wasn't 100%. I think when he's on, he's definitely deserving of that top five conversation. And I think some of these teams that are in a rebuild, they're going to be willing to take that chance on him, hope that maybe they can get him you know, earlier than his two-year contract. Maybe they can get some negotiating there. Maybe they're willing to wait for the two years to come up because, man, when he is on, he is an absolute uh, dynamic player on the ice out there. He absolutely is. All right. So those are some of the prospects as well that we think. Um, you know, another one that I think you can look for who uh, paid the Krebs, another center. Now, he just tore his Achilles tendon, so I think he's going to go a little bit lower because of that. Not only he's going to go that much lower, he is a very good, I, you know, suspect that he will be right there uh, around the top 10 conversation. And Alex Newhook, one who had the British Columbia Hockey League. And um, so when we get into just maybe a sleeper or two, right as soon as we're done with this mock draft. Now we're going to go through this mock draft, and we're going to kind of talk about it. And looking at New Jersey for me, and the Rangers to me, New Jersey's going to go Jack Hughes because they can partner Hughes and Nico Heischer as the top two setters for the next decade. He gives Taylor Hall another person to play with, convinces him to resign. And then the New York Rangers will do Capo Cacao. Any dissension? Yeah, completely agree. Um, I mean, we've pretty much hinted at this entire episode. Hughes, number one, seems like a pretty much a no-brainer. Um, but we'll see. We've seen teams kind of go unconventional and, you know, having uh, having the guy from Finland, the dynamic score, uh, it's not going to be a bad first pick. It, just in my mind, it's Hughes. Um, it's a pretty easy one-two for me. All right. Now we get to number three. <laughs> and literally as we've been talking, I have been debating it. And I put my pits in probably about an hour ago. I'm not going to change it. But the Hawks could go a lot of ways. And, okay, so here's my issue, and I think we need to talk about this before we make our pick. Okay, the Hawks have taken defensemen. Their last four picks in the first two rounds, okay? They took Adam Boquist and Nicholas Bodan last year. Then they took Henry Yokiharu, who made it to the NHL faster than people thought, and Ian Mitchell. Ian Mitchell's going to be at University of Denver. Yeah, we talked about their blue line, and you know, with Keith Seabrook, Gustafson, Mata, Murphy, there's only one spot, which I, I assume Henry Yokiharu is going to get. I mean, who knows? They could have made a trade by the time this actually drops. I, there's probably going to be, you know, everything's going to go 
all that. Okay. They don't have a whole lot of top-end talent in terms of forwards in their system. However, Bowen Byron doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have... They have referred to this defenseman as assets. If they keep developing their assets, they're not all going to make the NHL. So, what I don't understand is if you take Bowen Byron, one of these defensemen is going to have to be traded. You know, it doesn't mean that you were wrong about the pick, but do you suddenly try to become the kingmaker of this draft? I, I don't even... I wouldn't be able to even fathom what it would cost to get back into the top 10 to get uh, one of the centers if you went Bowen Byram. I think it's very unlikely. I don't think it happens. But the Hawks have been very close to the best. Like, there is no, no semblance of where they're going. And I've been watching this, and, you, you know, yes, we admit we have vested interest in the Hawks. We're NHL fans, too. I watch these clips, and I'm like, ooh, I, you know, I totally get what, and listening to another podcast, the Hot Talk podcast, when they were talking about this, and that you watch them, and then you're like, ooh, I really like this guy. I really like this guy. I've literally watched clips of these guys. I was watching them right before I drove over here, and I still was like, ooh, I really like this guy. I really like, you watch Dylan Cousins. I like him. I like Alex Turcotte. Like, what they said, this is exactly what they said. It was, ooh, I like Dylan Cousins. It's totally true. I like Kirby Dock and all this. I have no idea where the Hawks were going to go. So, I don't even know who I would pick if I was the GM of the Hawks. So, with that said, Andrew, let me get your thoughts on what I said first, because I, I, I have a... I'm, very obviously afraid of commitment right now. So what are you, your thoughts about all this that's surrounding the Hawks? Yeah, I'm watching you start to sweat over there as you're getting ready to give your number three. I am. It's, as we've mentioned, one and two seem pretty obvious. The draft, the second part of the draft really starts right here, number three with Chicago. And so it's interesting, do you draft best overall player available? Do you draft for a need? As you mentioned, the Hawks have... Some good defensemen that could come up and maybe they become bargaining chips if you go with Brian here. So I think it's always that tough conversation is, are the Hawks willing to go all in on best player and maybe push off that contention for a little bit if it happens to be Brian for them? Are they willing to forego best player available for someone who can fit into the system right away that they're going to want to put out there next season. I think it's definitely, it's going to, this pick is really going to shape the rest of the top 10. I agree. Absolutely. I agree. Okay. With that being said, <laughs> I think he was the best player available. You go Bowen Byron because everybody says that he's not a number one defenseman. However, my pick is going to be for the Blackhawks. I think they're. I, I think it's going to be Alex Turcotte, and I look local boy, a, a guy who they can keep a very close eye on the development. He's going to be just up the road in Madison. Let me tell you. I mean, I, wherever he goes, I, I'm definitely thinking about getting like four tickets to a mat. You know, going to Madison a couple times next year, which. Actually, I'm probably gonna have to ask for that for Christmas. But uh, <laughs> now that I think about it, please. Yeah, well, it's Christmas, Hanukkah. I might have to ask for that. Um, just because you know, I'm gonna want to see him play, and especially if he's a Blackhawks prospect. 
you know, I think it's center defensemen, and I think the fact is they don't have any top-end centers in there. I, I would not be surprised if it's Kirby Doc. I would not be surprised if it's Byram. I would not be surprised if it's Caulfield or, or Cousins or um, Segris. I think they go with Turcotte because the Blackhawks like that defensively responsible center. He's a two-way center, and I think that he will develop and become that number one center who can take over for Jonathan Tate. I am committed. It's Alex Turcotte. <laughs> I will be wrong, I'm sure. I think that's a great projection. Um, obviously, the Chicago ties, he would be a great story to have the uh, the guy who's going to come in and eventually replace Taze as that number one center line guy. He's a great story. Again, you can't really go wrong with any of these picks. I think we both agree that Brian is probably the best available prospect at mm-hmm. number three. Is there going to be a bit of a log jam in the Chicago system? I don't know. I tend to go best player available in my own eyes. I don't think Chicago's going to do that, and I think they're going to skip the nice story of the Chicago guy. I think they're going Kirby Doc. You know what? I've heard his name a lot, too, and I've heard Turcotte, and I've heard Byron. And that, yeah, I, Kirby, I, I would not be upset as a Blackhawks fan if they go Kirby Doc. Like, you know, if you have to take who you think is the best player available. So if they think a setter is better than Bowen Byer, then you do that. And that's what you do. You just you pick the best player available. Whoever the best player is available, that's got to be your pick. And you just stick to it. And yeah. so, you know, it doesn't matter if you drafted four defensemen if you're the Chicago Blackhawks. I think that's why there's all this intrigue around the pick. Um, you know, the other thing, you know, so that's where... I, I don't think there's a wrong pick, whoever they pick. Um, so, yeah, I, it's going to be very interesting after the second pick to see where this goes. Because like you said, I I agree. This is a total domino theory with the Blackhawks. Whatever they pick is going to have ramifications for the rest of the first round. Yep. I completely agree with you. Yeah, and I think it's, again, we're we're invested in the Hawks. We're big Blackhawk fans, so it's, it's uh, emotionally attached for both of us. There's about five guys that you could you could plug into this spot, the number three pick, and I wouldn't be upset about any of them. It'll be interesting to see. I just think the guys that are drafting for Chicago, they realize that they were close to that eight seed. The total rebuild might not be happening. They might try and find replacements that are allow them to sustain success while working towards a rebuild. So I think they've got some great scores that are some smaller guys. I think they want that Taze replacement. And I think, you know, Doc's a big guy. He's a good all-around player. He's willing to get back on the defensive end. I just see him as that being that Taze replacement in a couple years. Right. And the other thing that, and, and I happen to watch, like I, I caught their on the clock thing or whatever, just scrolling through and like, going through YouTube. I, I don't know how it came up, but I want to watch it. And, and you know, Bowman said, look, it's not necessarily the guy who's going to be ready now. It's the guy who's going to be the best four years from now. And so I, I think they realize this is a unique position. They hope not to be in for uh, a while <laughs> again. Um, and, so, yeah, I just don't know. You know, and then as you're talking, now I'm thinking, oh, man, I think they're going to take Bowen Byram now. <laughs> I, it's just like a football. Like, I'm so ready for. We just what, need about the answer. 6.30 tomorrow. We just need an answer so yes. we can finally stop with the six person debate on there. It's going to be like you said, 
There's great players. They've got a great pool to choose from. It's not like there's um, much debate that the top two guys are the top two guys, but anywhere three through ten, you're going to have some great prospects to choose from. So, you know, it's it'll be nice to say that you can't go wrong with this pick. Yes, yes. All right, number four, the Colorado Avalanche. They got this pick from the Ottawa Senators. Uh, had the best odds. They wound up falling from one to four in the draft lottery. Colorado, um, you know, they had Kale McCarr come off as a defenseman. They, they've got Tyson Berry. They, they've actually got a nice defensive core with Samuel Girard as well, who they got in the Matthew Duchesne trade. And one of the things that I've heard and read is that they are looking for a young center to put behind Nathan McKinnon. So with that being said, I think that, you know, they will go, if for some reason, if Byron goes three, then they would probably go Turcotte. But since Turcotte's not there in my mock draft, they're going to go with Kirby Dock, the center out of Saskatchewan. Tall center, fast. It makes them even faster in Colorado. Yeah, I think the the interesting pick about this um, about this team pick here for Colorado is, and we talked about this in our last episode. Who are these teams that are going to be next on the horizon of the elite in each conference? There's no such thing as a free pick, but man, Colorado really could shape their. I mean, they've got a great future already. You look at this pick falling to number four, maybe hurts a little bit when you're projected number one. But I'm looking at it as this is kind of a free top prospect that you don't think you're going to get to be a team that's playing uh, competitively by the time the postseason comes around. So I agree they've got um, this is kind of a a riches forum. And I think similar to what you just mentioned, I have Alex Turcotte going number four. They're a good enough team where they don't need him right away. They can allow him to develop up at UW-Madison. He can come up in a couple years, learn from Nathan McKinnon, who's one of the best in the league. And I think that they're really going to look at that trade to send Duchesne over there as it hurt in the moment. But, man, in two years, if they've got a one-two punch on their center lines, it's going to be a great uh, a great feel-good pick for them. Think about it. This is a team that got eliminated game seven from the second round. I mean, they were, you know, one goal away, you know, one, two goals away from making the Western Conference final. This is a, a Colorado team that it's a luxury to make the playoffs and then get the number four pick because of another organization handing you a high pick. So I, for Colorado, I mean, I, I think Turcotte's a great pick. So, all right, number five, the LA Kings. Drew Dowdy's getting a little old in the teeth. You know, look, this is a Kings team that just needs speed. And so I think that, you know, knowing that, you know, you don't really have a whole lot anywhere. <laughs> You're the Kings. You know, obviously if Bowen Byram doesn't, you know, if he's already gone, it's going to be a setter. However, for my mock draft, he's not gone. The LA Kings, it's a no-brainer. Get Bowen Byram, pair him, and now you've got, you know, you start ma- remaking this team from the back end. Yeah, and I'm I'm over here smiling at you because as soon as you say Drew Doughty, I say, yep, we've got the same guy projected at number five. The fact that he falls to number five is great for Los Angeles. And unlike Chicago at three and Colorado at four, where these teams think that 
you know, they can pretty much you know, Colorado thinks that they can be top of the conference and yeah. Chicago thinks they can they can sneak back into the playoffs. I think Los Angeles is finally committed to this full rebuild. You got to go best player available and I think Brian's an easy choice here if he's on the board. He's on the board for both of our mock drafts. Brian to the Kings, they'd be ecstatic. Yep. Absolutely. I agree. All right, number 6, the Detroit Red Wings. Well, this is a team that needs more offense, in, and especially when you look at it, that if Byron's off the board, there's no defenseman that you probably want to take here. So, you know, then it comes down to, okay, is it Dylan Cousins, or is it Trevor Segris? Uh, is it Cole Caulfield? You know, they could go a number of ways. For the Detroit Red Wings, I thought that, you know, they could use another big-time pivot, another big-time center. And, you know, Trevor Segris might wind up being on the wing. But I thought his creativity, his high-end offensive potential, they could use something like that in Detroit. So I went with Trevor Segers. And, you know, I've, I've been looking at some mock drafts here and uh, some of the rumor mill going around, and I've heard a lot of connections that, um, you know, those top guys in, in Detroit really do like Trevor Segers. Heard some comparisons of maybe similar skill set and tangibles to uh, a a great player for them in, in Pavel Datsuk. I also have Detroit going with Zegras at uh, number six. I think he's going to be a great prospect for them. They have some really solid offensive young players in the, in their system. Again, I think if, if Brian's there, they want to boost up that, um, that group of defenders that they have. But I think Trevor Zegras, you know, this is two picks in a row that we agree, Matt. Um, oh. And so you guys know, we didn't show each other these um, I was sitting across from him, kind of covering it with my phone so that he couldn't cheat off me when all my picks are um, inevitably wrong. Wow. Didn't want wow. him to didn't want him to to bring him down with me. But this is the first time we're sharing these picks with each other. I mean, other than one and two, those seem pretty obvious. Uh, we debated Chicago at number three since we're since we're fans. But we haven't seen these picks, and now we've got two uh, two in a row of drafting the same. We do. I, I think we will start to differ here, though. So, Buffalo. Buffalo, number seven. Uh, this is a team that they started out really well during the season. And then it just, the wheels fell off. And to me, I, I look at, okay, they just re-signed Jeff Skinner. Um, you, you you have Jack Eichel. You have Casey Middlestad is supposed to be coming out soon. I think they could use another winger that can score. Um, to me, this is where the Cole Caulfield should stop dropping no more than seven. So I went with Cole Caulfield to the Buffalo Sabres. It's a great pick, and they have some great – I mean, Jack Eichel, I think we can agree, is just phenomenal. He is so much fun to watch. Um, shout out to him. I picked him for my uh, fantasy team last year, and he did not disappoint. Yeah, I think Buffalo's got, again, some great prospects to, to choose from. I mean, they're sitting here at number seven and uh, just looking at just riches of a selection here. I went a little different. Um, I think Caulfield's a great pick for them. I, I personally, I gave them Cousins. Uh, he's a good skater. He's a solid all-around prospect. I think they're willing to, um, to build up their team from, from the middle out. I think giving them a big center in Cousins is going to be someone who they want to pair on their one of their top lines in a couple years. 
Buffalo really can't go wrong with some of these guys that are left on the board, though. I agree. I, you know, Dylan Cousins, that's a good pick, a, a very good pick, and um, one that now I'm half tempted to change my eight and nine picks. But, um, you know, I, I, I think that's a good pick to Buffalo. You, you can't go wrong to me. You know, you're in the top ten. You know, I, I think there's a lot of talent here. All right, number eight, the Edmonton Oilers. Ugh, what a dumpster fire they are. Um, they need a little bit of everything. They need defense. They need goaltending. They need forwards, too, because they're very top-heavy. They're going to be even more top-heavy with Leon Dreisaitl's contract kicking in as well. Uh, him and McDavid making over 12 or, what I think it's like $22 million between the two of them. So I went, though, with defense because this is everything that they need a defenseman. And, yes, they went with um, – Oh, gosh, why am I blanking last year? Guy that I wanted the Hawks to take and didn't take. Of course, I can't remember. But I went with Philip Broberg. Uh, You know, puck-moving defenseman and, you know, just very, very smooth skater. I think that that's someone that would help Edmonton kind of push the pace. So I went with Philip Broberg. Again, I think it's a great pick. Um, Edmonton, they've got some of these cornerstone pieces that – you know, there's no reason why they should be drafting in the top ten. Um, they've they've got arguably already McDavid, the best player in the game. Drysidle is just a phenomenal talent, and they've got two of you know the best scores in the game. So when I look at them, I say they could really use some defense. They could use a goalie if there was really a top prospect um, that was worth taking and holding on to for a couple years. So the fact that they really need some defense, I went ahead and I gave them Cole Caulfield because why not have, you know, three scores that are going to end up putting 60 goals a season <laughs> in a few years. Man, what a lineup that would be with uh, with McDavid, with Dreisaitl, and with Caulfield. I gave them uh, um, more riches than they could possibly need on the offensive end. It's funny, when you were talking about that, and when you were talking about the Buffalo pick, I was like, I really shouldn't have given Buffalo Caulfield because he really feels like he just belongs on the Edmonton Oilers. <laughs> but then I thought, you know, there's a responsible GM in Edmonton now, in Ken Holland, and it's not Peter Shire- Peter Shirelli would have gotten Cole Caulfield. I guarantee. Yeah. <laughs> but Ken Holland, like to me, you got a Swedish defenseman in Detroit, Nicholas Lindstrom. Like, come on, it just makes too much sense. But um, I-, I like Cole Caulfield to Edmonton. Um, so, all right, let's go to number nine. We got a few more minutes here and we'll wrap this up and you look at it and I went with number nine, Anaheim. Uh, they just bought out Corey Perry yesterday. Ryan Gesslap's getting very long in the tooth. This is a very, this is a team that just, they need speed. They need youth. They need a center of the future. Therefore, I went with the number four center on our board, Dylan Cousins, here in Anaheim. I think Dylan Cousins would be great in Anaheim, especially if, he, if he's ready to go now. Boy, you add some young talent there. you got to get younger here at Anaheim. This is a team that's starting to get passed up by the rest of, rest of the Western Conference in the NHL, much like LA did, much like Chicago has. So... If you're Anaheim and Dylan Cousins is there, I think you run up and you make the pick for Dylan Cousins. I think that's an absolutely phenomenal pick for them. Unfortunately, he's off my board going number seven to Buffalo. Um, But 
that's a great pick for them. You talk about a team that was consistently in the top of the Western Conference, some of these studs and absolute pillars that they had, Perry being bought out, Getzlaff, you know, is he going to be traded? Is he going to be? I don't think he'll be bought out anytime soon. I think he'll get traded to a contender. I really think that it's the end of an Anaheim era that was possibly a little little disappointing to the fans. They sh- probably feel they should have had one at some point in this last decade. Feels like they're fully going into the rebuild, which is why I think they're willing to take an interesting flyer on a player that we discussed has been all over the board between number three and, you know, into the late teens, early 20s. And I gave them Vasily Podkolzin out of St. Petersburg, SKA St. Petersburg. I think he's a great prospect. He comes with some risk. The contract situation, is he going to leave Russia? You know, we've we've seen um, Kovalchuk burn the... Uh, devils and staying in Russia and and doing that but I think that this is where his quote-unquote slide ends um, after being all over the board in the first round I think they're willing to fully embrace the rebuild they're not going to look for a guy that's going to contribute right away they're going to start selling the farm out to you know all their top players and they're really going to take a few years and hope that it pays off for them I like the Pat Colson pick I I do in uh you know, I, I think he's a top 10 now, and, and, you know, he definitely belongs to be in the top 10. So I, I like the pick. I think he's going to be a good pro when he comes over to uh, the NHL. All right, the last pick in our mock draft, we're just doing the top 10, because like I said, if we did all 30, we'd be here all night. Um, So the Vancouver Canucks, it's in Vancouver, uh, a team that's starting to improve team that can use a little bit of, you know, everything. They got Quinn Hughes, so he's coming up. They got some good defensemen. Um, Elias Patterson, of course. I went with Matthew Boldy, uh, the right winger from the U.S. National Development Team. And or US, and I think that he would be perfect. He's got a little bit of feistiness to his game, but he's fast. And he's going to be a scorer in the NHL as well. And just to add some more offense and start to replace the offense that you have lost from the loss of the Sadiqs. Yeah, very similar to Anaheim, a team that, again, seemed like they should have won a cup some some point in the last decade. A lot of their their pillars, their cornerstones are gone with, with the Sadiq twins. So I think that going offense, you know, is a move that makes sense. They've got one of the best, I think, one of the best young players in Elias Pettersson one of the best offensive players specifically, but overall is just a great talent. I think they're going to take their great Swedish guy. They're going to give him another one. They're going to boost up the defense to match him. And I think they're going Philip Broberg out of Sweden with their number 10 pick. I like it. I like it. You know, I I can see them doing that. Um, I think that, you know, there's not a, a bad pick again, you know, in 10 years, you get a good player. Uh, just a, a few little other prospects to note as well. Um, I'm interested to see, obviously, I'm interested to see where Pat Colson is if he's not in the top 10. Like, um, I mocked out. But how about Morris Snyder? Morris Snyder from Germany, perhaps the highest rated German defenseman uh, ever. He's had a good shot, nice passer, very good skater. I think he's someone who's going to go probably at the top first half of the draft in the first round. 
uh, Cam York, the other defenseman from the U.S. National Development Team, and as I said, Peyton Krebs earlier, and Alex Newhook. That's a guy, and I think it's going to be very interesting. I think he has a great future ahead of him. Very good stick handler, very good shot, you know, good skater. I think he plays in the British Columbia Hockey League, so people wonder about the skill level there. But it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Alex Newhook and a couple of these other guys. And I think it's going to be fun. The NHL draft is always fun. It's a great time. Uh, great great thing to watch. And by the way, Evan Bouchard was the one who I was thinking of that Vancouver, uh, that Edmonton took last year. Um, so anyway, yeah, I'm looking forward to the NHL draft. And then the free agency window where guys can talk to people, opens at 12.01 Sunday morning. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's going to be a very exciting weekend. Matt, my big prediction, obviously we're giving our top 10 picks right now. Yeah. My biggest prediction is that I think someone in the 4 to 7 range is going to trade out. I think someone's going to jump in and try and grab one of these top offensive players. If Brian's on the board when it gets to Los Angeles, I see that as a place where someone might want to jump in to uh, get the stellar defenseman. But the other big question I have is, you know, when is Spencer Knight going to go off the board? I think once we get out of the top ten, we're going to see a run on defensemen, some of these great players that we have coming out uh, from all over the world. But Spencer Knight's going to be interesting to see who's willing to take. He's a great prospect. Uh, seems like it might be a week in the top end, a week uh, goalie draft. Interested to see. I don't know if he makes it out of the top 15. I think someone might jump up to take him as well. I could see that as well. Yeah, I I, I think that if, if the Hawks don't take Bowen Byram, that four pick gets really interesting because you know LA is going to want to take him and does Colorado maybe move back to a team that wants to jump up the four? I, I think it's, boy, it's, it's going to be interesting. Um, yeah, I don't know if I ever try to think. Uh, bold prediction... Oh, gosh, well, I think I predicted half the top ten would be U.S. National <laughs> Development Team, so I don't think I could go there. I'm uh, looking at my... Yes, I did, so... Uh, my prediction is that... Hmm. I, I'm going to go with... There's going to be... Two trades tomorrow of... Any very good players in the NHL before the draft even starts. That's my prediction. And it's going to impact because there are going to be pits moving. I think that's a great uh, prediction. It's going to be wild. I don't know what's going to happen outside of the top two picks going the way they do. Uh, it's definitely going to be interesting to watch. And, and we'll see. We'll see how accurate our, uh, our little top ten mock was. We can come back and see who was the most accurate. I have a feeling there's a good chance we're both going to have Number one and number two, right, and that's it. <laughs> oh, 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 I think absolutely our mock drafts are going to get blown. <laughs> so, oh, and, and, you know, it's just, it's, you know, either it's going to be someone that we don't expect, because we both acknowledge we think Bowen Byron could definitely be the third pick. It's just going to be someone that we don't, that we didn't pick that's not named Byron. That's probably what's going to happen. So, feel free to write in and tell us how wrong you think we are. Um, yeah. Because that'll be my favorite part is as soon as uh, this goes down, we'll see That's how right. accurate our predictions were. That's right. You can email us at puckheadspodcast at gmail.com. All right. I think that that is all the time that we have. 
Uh, we will get back and we'll record a podcast before free agency officially starts and everybody can officially sign. Uh, so sometime during the talking period next week, we will try to record a podcast and do that as well and talk about free agency and recap the draft. All right. So for Zach Smith, I am Matt Rosenberg, and that is all the time that we have this week on the Puckheads podcast. Have a great night, everybody.